Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. It looks like we're drinking the same thing. What is that? Zevia? Ginger ale? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I have. Are you serious? Yeah. Dude, we have never talked about this. I know. We've never. Wow. What are the odds? No. Mariah just, we we don't get this very often. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible. It's a great soda alternative. Well, maybe not a great one, but it's much better than like 99% of the stuff that's out there. But Mariah just got it randomly at the store today, so we don't get it very often. Yeah, this is the first time I've gotten this. I've gotten the, uh, maybe it was like the Mountain Dew version. Okay. But I, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I like ginger ale. I, I never drink soda, but this looked interesting. So this, for those that don't know, um, Zevia is like a sugar-free soda or soda alternative, but it's made with Zevia, which is a supposedly better uh, sugar alternative than like aspartame, but it does have some natural flavors in it. So better than like a Coke or a Mountain Dew, but yeah, and better than Diet Coke and Diet Mountain Dew. That stuff is garbage, right? Can you drink this stuff when you're fasting? Probably not. No calories, it says. Oh, yeah, no calories. I mean, maybe there's a lot of debate on what doesn't and what does break a fast. Most people agree that you can drink black coffee, tea, and water, right? But beyond yeah. that, well, there's debate even with that. Just because it has some calories? Like coffee has a couple they of calories. They think anything that you ingest triggers the digestion process. Mm. Like, uh, there are some crazies out there that do dry fasts. Like, with, they don't even no drink water, <laughs> which that seems dangerous. But we're not going to get into dry fasting today. We're going to stick it to the the main fasting groups. Yeah, this one, um, give you guys a little forewarning. This could be a, a little longer of an episode. Well, I guess you priority can see the timestamp on this by now, but um, we have a lot to cover here. We wanted to go through um, intermittent fasting, which are shorter term fasts, and then some like longer term fast, 24 hours and beyond. Um, if you've seen our Instagram, like Andy has tried out a, a five day fast. We've both done some 24 hour fast and experimented with intermittent fasting as well. So we just want to cover all things fasting, give a, a general overview of it, the different types, what they are, the benefits of it, who should do it, who should not do it. So that's kind of the the general overview of this episode. Yeah. And there, yeah. Like fasting has become such a trend, but it's actually been around for a long time. Like this has been studied since, I mean, I found studies going as far back as the 80s. And hmm. I don't know, I'd say in the past five years or so, it's taken off in popularity and there's all these different kinds. And uh, yeah, yeah. So so we wanted to break down different types. What's the evidence for this? And, and like, why do people do it? And uh, yeah, let's dig into it. Yeah. So when you look into intermittent fasting, it's kind of confusing because it has a lot of different types. Like there's a lot of subgroups to intermittent fasting. Uh, one common type is called alternate day fasting. So you'll, people fast for 24 hours and then the next 24 hours you can eat next 24 hours you have to fast. So alternate day fasting, 
Another common type of intermittent fasting is the 5-2 fast. So for five days a week, you can just eat your normal diet, eat your normal diet, no restrictions. But then two days a week, you are calorically restricted by about 25% of what your normal diet would be. And then the third most common type is time-restricted eating, which this one seems to be the most common as of late. So when people reference intermittent fasting in the past few years, this one seems to be the most common and it's called time-restricted eating where you're only allotted a certain window of time of the day that you can eat. So that could be a 16-8 fast, which would be fast for 16 hours, eat for eight. That could be an 18-6 fast, meaning you fast for 18 hours and then you have a six-hour window where you can't eat. And uh, so that's time-restricted eating. And with this one, there are no restrictions on calories whatsoever, as long as you're in, in in fact, there's like no restrictions on food technically either. As long as you're within that eight hour or six hour window, you can eat as much as you want and whatever you want. I mean, it's, it's wise obviously to eat a more nutrient dense diet within that timeframe. We'll get into that in detail later on, but uh, technically, it's as long as you're eating within that window and fasting fasting during the fasting window, that's what time-restricted eating is. So all of these different types of fasting methods, um, these are all shorter-term fasting. Uh, it does seem kind of strange. Like, why would you do this? Why would you not stick to the three-a-day meal? Mm-hmm. Or the, uh, that w- I know the the five day shorter meals were popular for a little while. Yeah. Like early two thousands, it was like healthy to eat five smaller meals. Like always be eating, which is yes. Yeah. Don't ever stuff yourself, but just always a, a trickle of food throughout the entire day. So this whole concept of eating three meals a day really is fairly new. Like it's not, it's only been around for a few hundred years and it really became popularized during uh, when the nine to five job became popularized because you had to eat before you go to work. So you, you ate breakfast and then obviously at work, they ha- they're mandated to give their workers a break. So most people ate lunch halfway through the day and then you come home, you're hungry again and there's, there's your dinner. So you have your three meals a day. But then it's not only three meals a day because between breakfast and lunch, you kind of get hungry and you might be bored at work. So you snack. And then between lunch and dinner, there's another period there where you're at work, you're kind of bored, so you snack a little bit there too. And then after dinner, it's like you eat dinner at five or six, then you're going to, I don't know, work out, watch some TV, do some yard work, and you're kind of hungry before you go to bed. So you you snack a little more and it ends up being... Yeah, you like, like you're eating six, all day. Exactly. And your body is, you're constantly working to digest this food. The body never gets a break other than like literally while you're sleeping because you eat right before you go to bed and then you eat right when you get up. And and we'll get into it, but like the six or eight hours you're asleep, that's not a huge break from digestion. That's a, that's pretty short. Right. So this is why fasting has been known, has been known to provide a variety of benefits. It gives our body a break from digestion and it allows those resources to do other things. So just some of the claimed benefits of intermittent fasting. Again, this is not looking at any of the specific types. This is just intermittent fasting as a whole. What are some of the benefits? 
Uh, it helps weight loss by reducing body fat. That's really the main one here. It helps improve circadian rhythms. It helps lower insulin and improve insulin sensitivity. It increases our, our human growth hormone. And lastly, improves cell health, our cellular health. So those are the overall main benefits of inter intermittent fasting. And I'll go into slight detail on each of these just to give a, a little further insight. But for the reducing the body fat, breather. So for helping reduce body fat during the fasted period. So when we have not eaten for a certain amount of time, the cells switch from using our body's main source of energy, which is glucose. And instead it is fueled by using fat. So it switches from using glucose to fat. And, um, that shift from using sugar as a source versus fat happens about 10 hours into not eating. That's, that's kind of a rough number and it's probably a little on the early end. Um, some studies have shown that that happens about 10 hours in, but more likely it's on the 16 to 18 hour end of, um, of the fast as when your body truly switches over from using glucose to using fat as fuel. And it and sometimes, it, and it does depend on like what you're eating beforehand, like if you were on a very low carb, high fat diet, you'd probably switch over quicker where if you eat nothing but carbs and sugar, then it's going to take longer for, for you to flip because your body has that glucose. Right. So it helps you lose weight by, by reducing body fat. It helps improve circadian rhythms. So we've talked about circadian rhythms before. It's our body's internal clock. Um, they're basically biological functions that repeat themselves on a 24 hour cycle. And I'm not going to go deep into this because there's a, there's a Ted talk that I highly recommend you guys watch. It's very interesting. It's by a Sachin Panda, who is a researcher expert in circadian rhythms. He has a whole book on this and it's just fascinating to see how much keeping those rhythms healthy relates to all sorts of other health benefits or detriments in our life. So when we keep our circadian clock on a healthy rhythm, it prevents all types of chronic diseases and it keeps our body working as it should. So Sachin Panda, Ted Talk, we'll link it in the show notes, but that kind of explains this a little bit better, much, much better than we could. So check that out. So then the next three, so lowers insulin sensitivity, increases human growth hormone, and improves cell cellular health. These are three that actually not only help, um, not are only improved during intermittent fasts, but also some extended fasts as well. So there's kind of carryover into both types of fasting. And Andy's going to talk more in depth about these three um, in a bit here. But that's kind of a, a very broad overview of intermittent fasting, the different types, what it is, and the different benefits of it. So we kind of wanted to look specifically at just one of those. And that one is time-restricted eating or time-restricted feeding. That's one that has been more popularized in the past few years. So we wanted to look at that one specifically to see the benefits of, of doing that. And one thing that I was really interested in, and I'm sure many of you are, is, is fasting like for people who are athletes who are lean, 
mm-hmm. who don't really have any um, like excessive body fat. Yeah, yeah, and just aren't a high uh, risk person for chronic disease. Like, are people like that? Will they benefit from fasting? Like, mm-hmm. Do they do they need a fast? That was that was my question because I am fairly lean. I don't have like I don't have much body fat. I have like eight to nine percent body fat. Um, so that was kind of my like my concern trying fasting. Like, do I? Should I do it? Like, am I going to lose more body fat? I really don't need to, and probably or, or lose muscle. I think that's something that a lot of people worry about. Right, right. So, with time restricted eating, looking at the studies, I looked at some studies for um, where they took a group of of overweight people or obese people, and then I looked at some studies that where they took just athletes specifically. So, I, we get to see kind of both spectrums and how time-restricted eating affects both of these groups. All right, so the first studies I'm going to look at are when they took a group of overweight or obese people. And with really most of these fasting studies, it hasn't been done on humans until recent years. Most of the studies have been done on mice, on, on rats, and it hasn't really been until recent years to where they're now testing this on humans. So the, the, the tests are very small, uh, very small groups. So, uh, just take that for what you will. We'll hopefully we'll see more of this conducted in, in the future, but this is what we have for now. So this, this first group is only 11 participants. All of them were considered to be overweight or obese and they, took one group and they did a version of time-restricted feeding. It's called early time-restricted feeding where you do it more on the beginning of the day. So they were only allowed to eat from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., which is an eight-hour window. And then they had to fast from 2 p.m. until 8 a.m. the next day. So one group did time-restricted feeding, a window there. And then the second group was able to eat from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So that would be like a 12-12 versus a... Yes. Six, 16, eight. 16, eight. Yeah. And so this is a, a crossover trial, meaning a group did this for four days and then the groups essentially switched and did it, did the other version for four days. So they, so the participants did both the time restricted feeding and the normal feeding. And the results of this were that the, the group that did the early time restricted eating had at the end, lower levels of ghrelin i i need to look up how to pronounce that the food hormone the hunger hormone you know how to pronounce uh, it i think that's how you say it so the time restricted eating group had lower levels of ghrelin which is the hunger hormone Uh, so they had decreased levels of appetite and decreased need for for hunger they also had a lower 24-hour blood glucose uh lower evening cortisol and increased level of ketones and also their their gene expression also changed. So they actually, even with fasting for only 16 hours, there were some levels of autophagy. So the autophagy-related gene within their bodies increased by 22%. And Andy will get into kind of what cellular autophagy is in detail. But Andy, do you want to give a, just a brief overview of what, what it is? So people, yeah, it's, it's basically cellular cleansing. It's when the body gets rid of the old damaged cells and 
um, the more that we can put our body in this, the the longer that we'll live in theory. So it's it's huge in the world of anti-aging and longevity. Yeah. So yeah, this trial, very short, very small group of people. So within just four days, there was no sign of fat loss because it was so short, but there were signs of, you know, reduced blood glucose, um, higher levels of ketones, autophagy, less hunger. Um, so this is kind of promising for over time what results you expect to see in the future. And the next study actually is a much longer. So we kind of see what happens when they extend it out farther. So this next study was 12 weeks, so a lot better than four days, and it had 23 participants. Similar, they had an eight hour feeding window. Similarly, they were all overweight and obese. And with this group, the group that ate within that eight hour feeding window, at the end of a 12 week, 12 week period, body weight decreased on average by 2.6%, Caloric intake also decreased by 341 per day. So their body weight decreased because they were increasing or they were eating less, eating less. Yep. Uh, blood pressure decreased by a significant amount. Uh, fat mass, visceral fat, triglycerides, and fasting insulin also did decrease. And those weren't significant decreases, but there were still decreases in each of those. So looking how this type of fasting from, so looking at time-restricted feeding at a 16-8 window for obese people looks to be promising. This isn't surprising at all. Um, they're mm -hmm. likely eating less calories and seeing a drop in fat mass, visceral fat, triglycerides is to be expected. So yeah. So, so what about athletes? Like, I think this. That's no surprise for, for overweight people to lose weight by eating for a less period of time. But athletes, I mean, typically are already in, in good shape. So curious to hear what that looked like. So I got two studies here with athletes and, um, one was an all male study and the other was an all female study. So the first one, um, was a longer study, fortunately. So it was for eight weeks and they took 34 males. And same thing, it was a 16-8 fast. So the group who restricted their feeding window could eat between 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. So this is considered a late time-restricted eating. They're not eating in the morning. They're basically skipping breakfast, and they're eating only from 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then the normal group of people could eat between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., so a 12-hour window. So both groups, here's kind of what's important with, with athletes. Both groups consumed the same amount of calories that they did before they started doing this. So they actually took a baseline week of, of calories. All the participants for one week before the trial tracked their calories and determined how much they tracked their macros too. So protein, fat, and carbs mm -hmm. and total calories. And then when they were doing this trial for eight weeks, they had to consume the same amount of calories in a similar macronutrient profile. So they're basically cramming in their, all they're eating for the day into a seven hour yeah, period. Right. So with that same amount of calories for the time restricted feeding group, they, this is crazy. They had a decrease in fat mass of 16%. Wow. Compared to the normal And this was a, an eight group. week trial? 
Eight weeks, yes. All athletes. Um, so I imagine they're fairly neat, fairly lean to start with. But on average, uh, a fat mass decrease of 16%. The normal group of people had a fat mass decrease of 3%. So fairly significant yeah. uh, difference there. Wow. Now, what's key here and what's what people are are worried about is, okay, did they lose strength as well? So they tested their, their fat-free mass and their muscle strength. And both of those were maintained throughout this eight-week period. Wow. Uh, their, their fat-free mass was the same after eight weeks. And their muscle strength, I think they measured it by doing a bench press and a leg press to determine their strength. And then at the end of the eight-week period, they did the same test. And there was no decrease in muscle strength. So they, so they didn't lose muscle. Like they only lost right. fat. Also, blood glucose and insulin levels decreased significantly in the time-restricted feeding group. Uh, there was a significant decrease of respiratory ratio in the time-restricted feeding group. So really, with these athletes, everything, I mean, it's nothing but good for them, to be honest. Like, it, they lost fat. They Their blood glucose levels, their insulin levels were better. Yeah. Their respiratory rate was better. So... It does seem to be beneficial even for healthy athletic people to only eat within an eight-hour window. There seems to be a decent amount of benefits yeah. by doing that. Yeah, and, well, yeah, and, and in this case, they they ate the same amount of calories, so they weren't calorie restricting, which is kind of another uh, right, you know, another area of of this research. But they weren't calorie restricting, so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the second study here, last one that I'll be mentioning is a group of females, basically an identical study, but with females. And it was similar that body fat dropped in the time-restricted feeding group while still maintaining the strength. So same results there. This was not very detailed. They didn't have the specifics, but almost the same results for the group of females. Wow. Yeah. So, so this is, this is time-restricted eating. This is one of the the many types of fasting but here there seems to be and i mean you didn't go through it but several mice studies on this and then it seems like we're starting to to dabble in human studies with this yeah fortunately more and more human studies are being conducted like the mice trials are great and it's it does have been very promising and it's good that we continue to do those but we can't really prove something to be beneficial until it's tried multiple times on humans and we get the same results over and over. And yeah. early signs of time-restricted feeding do look very promising on human trials. Yeah. All right. So that is time-restricted feeding, um, commonly referred to as intermittent fasting. And then another area of fasting is extended fasts. So let me just start by saying this is a, a complex topic. It's still being widely researched. Like Aaron said, there have been several books written on this, several claim benefits of fasting through many different mechanisms and many different types of studies for each of these things. So there's a lot out there on this. Today, I'm going to try to, to keep it somewhat high level, um, but hopefully in depth enough to where you can take something away from this. So this extended fasting is limiting calories for an extended period of time. So typically greater than 24 hours. Aaron talked about the intermittent and typically you, you restrict calories for 16, 18 hours. This is going above and beyond that 24 plus hours. And this can span multiple days. Like I've done a five day fast. 
you know, three to five day fasts are pretty common. I've heard of some people going as long as 30 days, like not eating food for 30 days. And there are like with intermittent fasting, there are different types of extended fasts. So there's non-caloric liquid fast, which is where you're just drinking water, black coffee, and tea. And again, there's still some debate on this. And then there's caloric liquid fast. And that's where you drink calories with liquid in it, like um, bone broth or maybe like a bulletproof coffee, amino acid supplements, things like that. Uh, there's something called a fast mimicking diet made famous by Dr. Walter Longo and his book, The Longevity Diet. And this is where you're consuming like less, I think it's around like less than five or 600 calories of certain types of food each day for like five days. And it supposedly mimics a fast. So your, your body responds in a way that it does during a fast. And then Aaron mentioned alternate day fasting, uh, the five, two fasting, there's something called calorie restriction, which is, is research kind of side by side by fasting, but it's really different. Calorie restriction is you, yeah, you're restricting calories and maybe not necessarily limiting an eating window, but the whole key to this is of an extended fast is to reduce eating or feeding window. It's kind of funny. Like <laughs> Katie always gives me crap when I say, when I mentioned feeding window, because it sounds like an animal versus just like <laughs> yeah. eating. But when it comes to I fasting, think, people say feeding. Yeah. And a lot of the studies, like when it's an animal study, they'll use the word feeding. Typically, like in the human trials, they use the word eating instead okay. for humans. But I, I've seen it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the point is to reduce your eating window without malnutrition. So there's a fine line here. So Aaron mentioned yeah, a few of the claim benefits. Um, the three that there, there are several with these extended fasts. We would be on here for a long time if I went through each of them. So I'm going to hit hit three of them, the three big ones, which is increased fat metabolism, uh, human growth hormone production, and uh, longevity or autophagy. So the, so this first benefit is increased fat metabolism. Aaron Aaron touched on this. It's an improvement in metabolic health and your body's fat burning potential. So this is well-researched in humans as Aaron went through just a couple of them. Um, there's several studies on this. And as Aaron reminded us, your body burns carbs and sugar first for energy. Um, but when you're fasting and the body runs out of carbs to be used for fuel, it starts burning fat for fuel. So this is when you get into that state of ketosis, fats are broken down, uh, creating fatty acids called ketones. And that's what the body then uses for energy. So this is seen through intermittent fasting, but even more so with extended fasting. And like I said, it could depend on your diet. You, you may switch into this quickly if you're eating a high fat, little to no carb diet, which a lot of people are doing on the, the keto diet. So several human studies have shown, uh, in addition to many rodent studies, that fasting, whether in intermittent, extended, or alternate day fasting, improves cardiovascular biomarkers, uh, reduce blood pressure that that's seen in several studies, uh, increase insulin sensitivity, increase glucose metabolism. Um, many of the human trials showed an improved cholesterol profile. So either improved HDL or reduced LDL, reduced body fat, reduced risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So I'm not going to go through any more studies because Aaron, Aaron, already went through a couple and I'll post some in the show notes, but this is shown for extended fasting as well. The evidence for fat metabolism and cardiac health is strong with this one. So another claimed benefit that Aaron alluded to is human growth hormone production. 
I think we touched on this in our sleep episode, but Aaron, remind us what HGH is. So HGH is a hormone produced by the pituitary gland, and it plays a key role in cellular growth and repair. So it's very important for health, for longevity of our muscles, bones, and tissue health. And one thing to note is that as people age, our production of this HGH declines over time. So as you you know get older, there could be benefits to doing these fasts to in, increase this production of HGH. So older people might benefit from fasting for this more than younger people would. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and it. I think we mentioned our sleep episode, but it's primarily produced during deep sleep, but studies have shown that we can actually increase, um, growth hormone is what it's referred to in a lot of studies, GH, but studies have shown that we can actually increase GH production substantially through fasting. And I found a study from the late eighties, early nineties, and then one from 2012, which is, um, what I'll go through now, but I found three solid human studies on this and there have been more done. But through all of these, essentially fasting increased the production of growth hormone after about 24 hours. And it seemed to peak around two or three days. That's when they really saw a spike in um, growth hormone production. And like it seemed to increase in most cases, like two to three times the normal levels. And in some case, production was increased by fivefold. So all studies show these similar results. There's a spike in growth hormone production after 24 hours of not eating. And so this can contribute to longevity through the repair of tissue. It's going to preserve your muscle and bone for a longer period of time. And as we know, like we get more, more frail and weak as we age. So, so this can uh, prolong that or prolong the, the strength of your muscle and bone. So evidence is strong for this one as well. Several animal and human studies have shown this and the results have been replicated. So this is, um, I would say this is a pretty well-proven benefit of fasting. And now the big one, which is autophagy. This one has really caught the attention of the anti-aging community. And I think it's really why extended fasts have taken off over the past few years. So I kind of briefly mentioned what autophagy was at the beginning. It literally means self-eating. It's the, the cells digestion process that removes damaged cells. So the body replaces or recycles these older damaged cells. This process was first discovered in yeast and then has continued to, the studies have continued to evolve over the years into rodents uh, and even monkeys. Humans, we're, we're kind of still getting our feet wet with that. Uh, it's early, I would say, uh, when it comes to humans. And so I'm going to get a little bit into the, the mechanisms of autophagy and what happens when you're fasting. This is very high level. I mean, like I said, there are books written on this. It gets kind of complex, but I'll, I'll tr try to keep it high level here. So one thing that we've seen in yeast and in animal models um, is the inhibiting of mTOR activation. So if you've done any reading on fasting or longevity, uh, you've probably heard of mTOR. It stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. Uh, and it's, it's basically a complex of proteins that regulates cell growth and metabolism. It's obviously very important for the early stages of life as, as we're growing up, but an overactive mTOR pathway can lead to uh, the progression of many age-related diseases, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, uh, neurogenerative diseases, especially Alzheimer's, and um, it's thought to 
be associated with cancer as well. It's highly, highly regulated by nutrient intake. So this pathway can actually sense nutrient availability. So when we have carbs, proteins, and amino acids, the, this mTOR pathway is activated and it recognizes that we have nutrients available for energy. So there's no need to, to eliminate old or damaged cells. In other words, autophagy is suppressed. There's no need to kill off old cells to create room for new cells. However, when this pathway is not triggered and, and it, it lies dormant due to the absence of carbs and proteins, it goes into survival, survival mode. And that's when autophagy begins. The body recognizes that there's no nutrients available, so it has to determine which cellular components to prioritize. And as a result, like I said earlier, the damaged worn out cells are discarded via the liver and converted to glucose, which is then converted to fuel um, so that we can function. So it uses up these old cellular components for energy. And then once we begin refeeding, that's when the new healthier cells are created. Did you come across at what point this happens? Like I know one of the studies I looked into where they are only fasting for 16 hours some sign of autophagy started to come into play but is there like a is there a peak like after three days like your autophagy peaks like what have you what did you see within in the research and how long it takes for this to kick in yeah this is one where there's debate on they have you know seen it in like you had said 16 to 18 hours some people say that it doesn't actually start between 24 and 48 hours so th th that's still being researched that's kind of still up in the air and of course, and it depends on your genes. It depends on obviously the type of uh, living thing that we're experimenting with, whether it be yeast or a rodent or monkey or humans, it depends on a lot of things. So that kind of varies on when it begins. Okay. So I mentioned cancer. I just want to make one note about mTOR and cancer. So mTOR inhibitors, like I said, you want to, to some extent, you want to turn off the mTOR pathway. So autophagy can begin. mTOR inhibitors are actually used as a cancer treatment. So high mTOR expression is seen in most cancer patients. And that's why some of the newer research or people that are willing to experiment have, have recommended annual extended water only fasts as a cancer prevention method and as cancer treatment in some cases. Not saying that you just don't eat that your cancer is going to go away, but we actually know somebody, an old family friend who he was diagnosed with cancer several years ago. Do you know what kind of cancer he had? I want to say esophageal, esophageal, esophageal. Or probably I don't know how you say it. it. And the cancer in the esophagus. Yeah. And. <laughs> I don't want to butcher his story. I actually really want to have him on and interview him because he's done so much research and he uh, he's just a, a fascinating guy. But he had the tumor removed and then didn't do any kind of radiation or chemotherapy and has had like this strict fasting regimen. I think he, I believe he's fasted for 30 days. Wow. Like he's a he's a fasting nut. And um, I mean, he's been cancer free for, for years. So I've, I've heard anecdotal evidence like that and it's getting more attention these days. You know, I was doing yard work the other day and I just weird stuff pops into my mind. And I was thinking like, what if I just get can Like, what if I just get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow? Like, wh what would yeah, I do? I know. And I'm like, I, I think the second I got diagnosed, I would just not eat for like five yeah, days. Just start that And stuff. just try to start. Yeah, start right out. I think that's what I would do. I mean, you could end, could end up doing more damage than good, but <laughs> it'd be worth a shot. Yeah. I mean, if it has nothing to feed on, it can't grow, right? 
yeah makes makes sense to me yeah <laughs> anyway that's just a, i thought an, an interesting side note on mTOR and cancer there are two other uh, nutrient sensing pathways that you'll probably read if you do any research on fasting called igf1 and AMPK. i'm not going to dig into those i'll put some resources in the show notes if you want to use more but um, I won't go into that much detail today, but all of these relate to cellular health and longevity. So many animal studies have confirmed that extended fasting triggers autophagy. Um, there, there have been several rodent studies that have shown an extension of lifespan by as much as 30%. And, you know, and of course this depends on the type of fast diet, underlying conditions of the rodent, but data for rodents is very solid, which is why it's gained so much interest. The ability to extend rodent lifespans by as much as they have is like really cool, like 30%. So that would be, and you can't necessarily translate it to a human equivalent, but what's our um, life expectancy? Like 80? I think it's like 78. It's, yeah, 78. So that'd be like 24. So. Yeah, like 24 years. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so they've, they've done a lot of rodent studies on this and they actually did a, a 30 plus year monkey study. There are these monkeys called a rhesus macaque. I think, I think that's how you pronounce that rhesus monkeys. And side note, this was a calorie restriction study, not necessarily a fasting study, but they think a lot of the, the same mechanisms are, are triggered. So what they did is they took these uh, 20 monkeys and they reduced their overall calorie intake by 30%. And then they watched them for the, you know, they had two groups, some consumed a normal diet and then the other, um, portion reduced their calorie intake for 30% by 30% for 30 years. And this is particularly interesting because these monkeys have a similar genetic makeup to humans and they, we see the same diseases like cancer, heart disease, diabetes. And what they found is that the monkeys on the calorie restricted diet lived beyond an average lifespan. So the control group for the ones that consumed the normal diet uh, was 26. The calorie restricted group, they died on an average of between 28 and 30, 28 for male, 30 for female. So you know, like all of them lived above the average age that these monkeys, monkeys typically live. And then six of the 20 monkeys actually lived past 40, which was previously wow. thought to be the longest possible lifespan for these monkeys. So six, six of the group that had the calories restricted right lived past 40 yeah which is wow. would be the equivalent to 120 year old human that's crazy and then one of the Jeez. monkeys actually broke the longevity record which was previously 40 and uh, li lived at least till 43 at the time the study was published the monkey was still alive that was in 2017 where are these do you know where this was done at was this i don't in america i don't remember i'll post the link hmm. in the show notes now, of course, this isn't a human trial, and this was calorie restriction, not necessarily fasting, but there were some benefits to reducing uh, caloric intake for an extended period of time. Um, so that, so I thought that was interesting. Human studies are limited. Uh, we mostly just have data from groups of people who experience long-term caloric restriction. There's the biosphere. There, you know, eight people spent two years in a biosphere. Again, this is getting to calorie restriction, which I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole. But they had a bunch of improved biomarkers, blood pressure decreased, BMI decreased, insulin, blood sugar, cholesterol um, showed signs of improvement. We really don't have any super long studies done to date. 
most of the studies have been observational. Um, it's difficult to get enough volunteers willing to undergo a long-term study around fasting in an environment really that is so conducive to overeating. And even two years, I mean, two years is, is a short-term study. There's something called the calorie biobank analysis. Uh, they've been tracking data around uh, reduced caloric intake for, for a number of years, and they found a lot of the same things, you know, body fat percentage decreased, blood pressure, cholesterol, insulin sensitivity, all these things showed signs of improvement. But again, two years is, is relatively short term. So what does it mean for humans? Well, we know the implications of fasting from a molecular level. You know, we've seen this in uh, in yeast. We know what's happening. We have an understanding of, of the biomarkers that are, that are impacted by it. MTOR, IGF-1, AMPK, and, and how they relate to aging. You know, and we know that mTOR is inhibited and autophagy is triggered with periods of extended fasting in animals at least. And um, we've seen a little bit of that in, in shorter human trials. So does this actually lead to longer lives for humans, which, you know, fasting again has been cited a lot by the anti-aging anti community. And I would say that in theory, Yes, scientifically it makes sense. That's been proven in animal models, monkey studies, short-term human trials, but that has yet to be proven and replicated in long-term human studies. There's a lot of anecdotal and clinical testimonies, um, but at this point, no major peer-reviewed studies on this yet, as it relates, sorry, I should say, as it relates to autophagy. All right, um, and some other claim benefits that I didn't go through, uh, brain health, as one more energy regulated appetite. Aaron actually talked about that. Gut health, improvement in autoimmune conditions, type 1 diabetes, and then, as you would expect, improved willpower, which I can attest to. So yeah, let's let's get into our experience now with with fasting. You wanna go uh you wanna go first? Um yeah, yeah, I'll start out. I'm not I really just started dabbling in, in this recently for this episode. I I've always wanted to do it, but never had the willpower to be honest. <laughs> so I just did intermittent fasting, the time restricted feeding. I did a 16, eight. So I fasted for 16 hours, eight for eight hours every day. I did that for 10 days. Um, so I did that first and I, similar to the studies made it a goal to eat the same amount of calories because I am, I don't have excess body fat. Like I, I should not be losing more than I already have. I did not want to, um, and, and muscle. I, I don't want to lose either of those. So I kept the same calories and then I basically kept every, I kept everything the same, like my workout routine, my calories, everything was the same. The only thing I changed was the window I ate it in. And okay. obviously I didn't get blood testing done. So I, I don't know all those details other than how I felt, how much I weighed, my weight did not change. I weighed myself every day and it fluctuated like half a pound every day up and down. So by the end of it, I was essentially the same exact weight. Okay. The only thing I did was able to test was respiratory rate because that showed up in one of the studies. I don't know the details of, of how fasting affects that. It, it was just mentioned in the study. So I was curious um, and I looked at my aura ring to see how mine changed and it was that week lower like the week before the weeks before it was up at like i don't even remember the number but that week like the, the week i was doing it was mm. 
notably lower than the others. Just something I noticed. Okay. And then how I felt, honestly, uh, I didn't feel great doing it. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, like to the first, it it takes a while before you, I think you get used to it. So that's not a surprise. It does. And the first three days were like kind of miserable. I I did not enjoy that at all because I always eat like right when I get up, I'll wake up, make coffee and eat. And I set my window from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. So the first three days were kind of rough. And then I I did get used to it after that. But kind of what I learned and what I would do differently if and when I do it again um, is to change the window to be more aligned with my natural circadian rhythm. So I'm naturally somebody who goes to bed earlier and wakes up earlier. Yeah. So I think I need to shift mine back to where maybe I eat my first meal at eight um, and then cut off my eating at four. Yeah, uh, I think that would work better with with my my circadian rhythm, my daily habits, and um, yeah. So that's kind of my my takeaway. Yeah, I'd say I feel like that's typical and, and in line with my experience. I mean, I've been doing a sixteen eight for I don't know since the fall, maybe. Um, okay. And not every single day. I would say most weekdays I do a 16-8. If I break it, I'm still typically doing a 14-10. So fasting 14 hours, eating for 10 hours in the day. And then sometimes on the weekend, I'll just do like a 12-12, which is, you know, most people can do. It's not that hard. Um, And just because like Katie and I sometimes want to eat breakfast together or, you know, maybe we're hanging out with friends a little later. So it's just from a social perspective, it works a little easier on the weekend. So... Yeah, when I first started doing it, like even a fourteen ten was rough, and then sixteen eight was really rough at first, and now it's like no problem. Like my body's completely adjusted; uh, it's it's not that bad. I have noticed that if I have a very high carb or like a um, alcohol the night before, it makes the next morning more difficult. Um, but, but one of the benefits I noticed from that, again, I didn't, I haven't done blood work, um, but it does help me control my late night snacking. I found that. I wouldn't eat much throughout the morning because I was just busy. And then at night when I was like sitting around, I would just eat a ton like right before bed. Yeah. That's one thing that I was very conscious of when I was doing this because I'm a, I'm a big snacker, unfortunately. So when I did this, I could only eat for eight hours. So basically right at 11, I would eat my breakfast last lunch. So I'd, I'd make a pretty massive lunch. Um, yeah. Cause I would, try to compensate for the calories that I would have eaten at breakfast. And it wasn't uncomfortable. It's not like I stuffed myself. Like I ate till I was full and that was generally what I would normally have for lunch plus what I would have for breakfast. Um, and then I was so full until like six or seven. I like, I wouldn't snack cause I had eaten so much. And then I would again, eat up a, a fairly large meal around dinner time. So I ended up doing just two big meals, no snacking, nothing yeah. else. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is to, I don't know if I'll stick to the 16-8. I might do 14-10 and then, or 16-8 and just push it back to earlier, but to avoid that snacking and just do like two bigger meals in a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's typically, I typically end up doing two meals a day. Yeah. Just because it's inconvenient to, to somehow make three meals in like an eight hour period. Especially right. if it's like 12 to 8, you know, half the time you're working. Um, 
Yeah, so I noticed that. And then, like, I actually do enjoy doing a fasted workout. I don't know, maybe half the time I work out at lunch and I do that completely, you know, basically that ends my fast after not having okay. eaten for 16 hours, which that's a whole episode in and of itself, but working out fasted and what that does to uh, fat metabolism. But, and then it's also convenient for me because I never was a huge on breakfast. I mean, I love breakfast cereal, but it's fine for me. When you work out fasted, do you, are your workouts, do you scale them back at all or do you just just do whatever no. you would normally do. I probably should, but no, I don't. I just do whatever. And you don't get like dizzy or lightheaded at all? No, um, I, I will say this. I do drink aminos right before. Okay. So that, that would give me a little boost. Okay. What about when you do when you do 24-hour fast, like what, just a water fast where you don't do any, eat anything but water or coffee for 24 hours? I know you've done quite a few of those. Do you Did you ever get like lightheaded or dizzy when you did that? Or no. like just like a feeling of weakness, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I get I get tired. Like the last six hours, you're getting you're getting pretty tired. Okay. And I never I never work out on days that I'm doing a 24 hour fast. Okay. So you you recently did a 24 hour fast, right? Yeah, I t- like on that 10th day of my 16 eight, I did a 24 hour fast. Uh, my first one and. I timed it bad because the night I got a really bad start the night before I ate super late. Um, I just had a busy day, so I didn't get to eat until like eight. And then I had to wake up at an appointment in the morning. So I had to wake up much earlier than I have been. So I woke up at like five. So it was a long, um, I was awake for <laughs> for most of the 24 hour That's period, rough, man. Um, and I, during the end, like I was just hungry, like about two, from two hours when I woke up till the end of it, like the hunger level was almost the same. Like I felt hunger almost the entire time. It didn't get like progressively worse, but I I did feel like kind of like lightheaded and dizzy at the end. And I don't okay. know if I did something wrong or maybe like fast, like longer fasts aren't, I don't know, good for me specifically. Like just whenever I'd get up, I would like get really, like really interesting lightheaded and it felt like i was kind of like gonna black out no i've never so experienced I don't know if I, that that's okay yeah that's probably something to watch out for um yeah i don't know hmm. i i think i drank enough water i was trying to stay hydrated so i don't know what that was with me um it could have been just that it was a strange night and a strange morning out of the ordinary so it could have been a mix of all that but yeah um yeah i'll, I'll try a 24 hour fast again and i will stick to a time restricted feeding window, but I'm just going to shift that to earlier in the morning. Yeah. So I, I got some good, uh, good tips out of it and we'll change some of my eating habits, but, mm-hmm. um, you did a, a five day fast, which is on, I think we have most of it documented on, on our Instagram. You kind of going day by day and talking about your experience, but yeah, I want to give like a, a, give an overview of that. Yeah. I'll give a rundown. So I did a, a five day fast, uh, water only. Well, it was a non-caloric liquid fast. So I did water, co- black coffee, and unsweetened tea. Um, I, I really prepped for it. I had been doing the 16-8 for a couple weeks. And in the last couple days, I was trying to cut out carbs, sugar, and alcohol. Last meal was very nutrient-dense. It was a nutrient-dense dinner on Sunday night. Yeah, and then I went through Friday. And first day, you know, I felt fine. I obviously wanted more food, but I felt like that was more out of boredom. 
didn't the whole week I didn't do any kind of intense intense exercise. I just walked. That's the most I did. Um, I drank Keon coffee and pick tea, uh, P I Q U E T. It's a, both very clean and zero calorie. Tuesday night is I would say like when my hunger peaked. I didn't feel like I was getting more hungry at that point, but basically all food smelled really good. I was substantially more tired than day one. It was definitely the most difficult day. Um, and then, you know, day three, I, I say I was less tired and hungry most of the day, but it was a really like busy, hectic day for me. So I think that made things worse. I was pretty hungry and tired later in the day. But then day four, I felt the most energy I felt all week. And I, I wasn't really that hungry. Um, I was starting to get used to not eating or stopping for meals. Um, I mean, I could... I could have eaten for sure, but yeah, my hunger levels were definitely lower than days two and three. And I, I assume at that point I was in full ketosis. So my body was purely using fat for energy. Felt the same on day five. And then I broke my fast Friday night, not a huge meal. I had some fire and kettle bone broth. And then I actually got these um, veggie purees from Sprouts. It's just like baby food packets, which I still eat now. It's like a snack. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's literally just mashed veggies and that's all I had that night. And then the following, was night, it hard? Was it hard not to like gorge yourself or did you not really have the urge to like eat a bunch of food? It wasn't like gorge, but I never could get filled up for, okay. for probably a, a solid like 24 hours. Um, that first night, once I started eating, it wasn't like I'm starving, but like, man, I just want to eat mm -hmm. and I just wanted to continue eating. But I stopped myself and then the next morning I had like eggs and sweet potatoes for breakfast. So okay. um, I, I, I'm definitely going to do that once a year is my plan. I wanted to do a three day fast every quarter and I was planning on doing it uh, the second quarter. But um, I guess it go, goes into a recommendation. So fasting is a stressor on your body. Like we, we understand that can sometimes be a good thing as we just talked about, but it can weaken your immune system temporarily. It's an added stress to your body. So it's something you need to worry about. And so I, I actually stopped doing the 24 hour fast and the three day fast back a few months ago, you know, when, when COVID kind of hit, I didn't want a reason to weaken my immune system. So I didn't want to do a huge extended fast. Um, so I put that on pause, but I plan to do it, uh, kind of the remainder of the year. I'd like to do a couple more three day fasts. And then 24 hour fast. I, I do those once a month, maybe. Yeah, I need a I need to try one of these extended fasts one of these days. It's it's honestly a uh, I don't know how you describe it, but it's like a um, it's a very intimate experience with yourself. Like you really mm -hmm. learn to build your willpower and just like say no and you, your body yeah. adjusts to not having food. I just learned how weak I was with just the 24 hour fast. Like I didn't want to do anything until I ate like I, I, I was at home working like I worked work, did my work day and then like I just sat around because I couldn't eat until past eight yeah and I finished up work around four o'clock and I like I didn't want to do anything for those four hours I just I was thinking about food and I was just it just showed me how weak I was that I, I couldn't even like stop thinking about it and move on and just like do something productive I just was like moping around like waiting for time to pass i know it plays with your mind but i i think you get past that yeah the, the more you do i did like i did a 24-hour fast a couple days ago and um yeah those last few hours or, or any especially the beginning hours you're just like looking in the fridge but it's like wait why am i doing this i can't eat 
And then towards the end, yeah. you're kind of just like waiting to, to eat. So, all right. So let's get into like, if you're going to try fasting yourself, I want to offer a, a word of caution. There are several people that should not do this. And anybody, anybody trying to do any type of fasting, talk with your healthcare professional before engaging in this. It is not right for everyone and it, it may impact people negatively. So some people who, who should be especially careful are people with a history of eating disorders, people who are already malnourished or, or underweight, pregnant or breastfeeding women, people with hormone issues, children, uh, of course. And then really anyone with underlying medical conditions, whether that be physical or mental, uh, especially talk with a doctor uh, before trying anything like this. And then women actually really need to be particularly careful when it comes to fasting. Fasting has is, is different for women due to the physiological differences um, between men and women. Uh, most fasting studies have been done on men, at least the extended fasting studies, and women may react differently due to the thyroid and hormone profile of women uh, versus men. Uh, it's also thought to impact fertility, again, due to the hormone imbalance. And, and not to say that this is always bad for women. Several women have very positive effects with fasting, but they just need to be careful. So and everybody, but especially people that I mentioned above, talk to your doctor before attempting this. So question for you your average person who i guess like us who is who is younger generally healthy um fairly lean athletic somebody like that who is just like looking to improve their health take it to the next level what would be a good like first step in the fasting realm assuming assuming they don't fall under any yeah. of these conditions i would say what's a good like first step yeah i would say start with like a 12 12 so maybe just yeah. limiting your eating window, maybe you're eating 16 hours a day and you know, you don't realize it and you could really change some habits and by just saying, Hey, I'm only going to eat 12 hours a day. So ease, that's a good way to ease into it. Maybe just do 12 and then maybe you do that for a few weeks and you say, okay, now I'm going to fast 14 hours a day and then 16 and then maybe work your way up to, to a 24 hour fast. Um, so I think that's a good, that's a good place to start. Anytime you're going to do a fast. Um, especially longer fast, it's important to limit carb consumption. That'll help you switch to ketosis faster. It'll make it a little easier. And then limiting inflammatory foods, which I mean, you should be anyway, but um, eating more nutrient dense foods will help with energy during a fast. So cutting out alcohol, sugar, uh, maybe even dairy and bread. Um, th those are all things that may make your fast more difficult. Yeah, I definitely noticed on days where I kind of ate crap, a crap diet. I felt that, um, during my fasting period, whereas if in my feeding window, I would eat things like, like eggs, avocado, um, and less of the carbs and starches, it made that fasting period so much easier. Like it was, it was day and night. How, how much what I ate before affected that fasting period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Um, because that's like what your body's running on. So yeah, it does have a big impact. Another common question that people have is like, what breaks a fast? And we kind of touched on this. Uh, basically, there's a lot of debate. You know, some say that anything besides water will break a fast. Some people say that non-caloric liquids are fine and won't break a fast. Uh, Dr. Jason Fung, uh, he is a fasting expert. He's written a couple books about fasting. Like he says, black coffee and, and unsweet tea is fine. 
Some say that you can still get some fasting benefits from from drinking even like low calorie drinks like bone broth. Uh, And then, like I mentioned at the beginning, Dr. Walter Longo is into this fast mimicking diet thing. Um, So experts can't really agree. Really depends on your fasting goals, I think. Like what kind of benefit are you trying to achieve and what fast will allow you to achieve that benefit? For instance, like intermittent fasting. Like we know that 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 helps with fat metabolism. Extended non-caloric liquid fasts, we think that it assists with autophagy and HGH production. Extended caloric liquid fasts, from from what I've read, again, we didn't get into it here, but uh, that that's good for gut health. Yeah, so, so it kind of really depends on what you're trying to achieve, and you can kind of customize your fast that way. Another uh, common question or concern is how do you get the nutrients that you need when fasting? Now, like I said, there's a difference between calorie restriction and fasting. Calorie restriction is not necessarily limiting your eating window, but reducing overall caloric intake or fasting is the opposite. It's limiting your eating window, but not necessarily reducing calorie intake. Whether you're doing either of these, it's important to be intentional about every meal. So aim for nutrient density most healthier nutrient dense foods are going to be lower calorie anyway. Uh, you know, most homemade meals are going to be lower calorie and more nutrient dense. Um, this is an extreme example, but like a burger from McDonald's is going to be much higher in calorie than a plate of broccoli and Brussels sprouts, but the veggies are going to be more nutrient dense and sustain you for longer. So if you're saying I'm going to go into a, a 16 hour fast, Let me jam, you know, my face with a bunch of sweets and sugar and terrible quality foods. That's not going to sustain you, even though you're, you're eating more. Yeah. I think you'll, you'll figure that out. Like after you try, if you're doing like uh, intermittent fasting or time restricted feeding, you'll learn pretty quickly that if I have, you know, chips and salsa right at the end of my window and then don't eat for 16 hours, like you're going to have, you know, that pit in your stomach of just emptiness. Yeah. Or as if you eat nutrient-rich, dense things like avocado and berries and, and grass-fed meat and eggs, like that stuff's going to stick with you, has all the nutrients in it, and you're going to feel much fuller for a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah, which, which brings me to my next point, which is like, do you need to supplement during a fast? Um, again, this, whether or not you need to supplement is totally dependent on on you, and that's for you to kind of figure out with your, your doctor, but... Um, if you're eating a nutrient-rich diet, many different of many different types of plants, animals, nuts, and seeds, um, you may not need to supplement during a fasting period. Your body may be able to sustain you during that period. But if you have an underlying condition or you're on a restricted diet, maybe you absorb certain foods poorly, then you're going to have to figure out what you're lacking in, likely through blood panels probably, which are expensive, um, but to see how and where you need to supplement. Um, that's a whole separate discussion, but whether or not you need to be supplementing during a fast is really dependent on your medical background. But can you supplement? That's, that's another question. And it really depends on your body and your goals. Like if you're fasting for fat metabolism or gut health supplements that don't have a ton of sugar, maybe fine. If you're fasting for autophagy, the thought right now is that less is more that even taking certain pills may, uh, activate mTOR. And like I said, we want to turn off that pathway when we're fasting. So the recommendation for those that are healthy uh, to limit or completely eliminate supplements during fasting periods. Of course, if you're on a medication, you should continue to take 
at your doctor's orders and electrolytes are fine. Electrolytes won't, won't break a fast. Uh, like I, like when I was on my five day fast, I would sprinkle some salt in water just so I was getting my electrolytes. But yeah, if you're interested in learning more, like I said, like, I know this is already super long, but there are some more books we barely scratched the surface of fasting. If you want to learn more, uh, Dr. Jason Fung has a book called the complete guide to fasting. He also has one called life in the fasting lane. Dr. Walter Longo has one called the longevity diet. And then if, if you're just interested in some apps that can track your fast, like I use, uh, the zero fasting app or the life fasting app. And I think on the life fasting app, you can actually create groups. Um, so you can like kind of encourage each other and see how other people are fasting. So if any of you are doing that, uh, let us know. Maybe we can all join a, uh, fasting group, but that's, um, those are two good apps that I use. So, all right. So I know this is kind of dragging on basically to sum it up where I'm at with fasting, more research needs to be done, especially with human trials. I'm convinced for me personally, that it's worth fasting for the longevity benefits. That's why I fast. I'm, I'm not particularly like interested in fat loss. I mean, I always want to stay trim, but like these extended fasts, like I'm doing it for the autophagy and there's no, there doesn't seem to be for me any downsides or any, you know, medical detriments from it. And I'm, I'm excited about the research that's out there right now. I hope it continues to evolve, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm going to keep doing it. All right. That was a long episode about one of our longest probably other than the snacks episode. So thanks for sticking in listening. But yeah, if you have any, any questions on this, feel free to hit up, hit us up on Instagram. Uh, the show notes is going to be just chock full of, of research studies and resources. So check that out as well. And uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed.